The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live. And check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion, hosted by Michael Guyon. My name is Michael Guyad, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me for the hour is Ross uh, Haber. Uh, Ross, for those who are not familiar with your background, introduce yourself. Who are you? How'd you get involved in markets? Uh, and what was Will O'Neill like? Okay, <clears throat> so I'll tell you. Um, when I finished, I finished school, University of Florida, 1994. I took my first very job as a retail stockbroker. Believe it or not, at all the discount stockbrokers, Charles Schwab's biggest competitor at the time. There was no online trading. I had a buddy there who told me they were they had a great office and you know come check it out. So long story short, I went down there. Um, I got hired. First book they put in my hands to read even before the series seven was Bill's book, How to Make Money in Stocks. Um, turned out that was kind of their bible there. That's what they read and followed, um, and you know ultimately pitched to their clients. So in that respect, I got very lucky. Right time, right place, right people. One of my um, retail clients that was also a big Bill O'Neill fan introduced me to the manager of institutional sales at the time who was, you know, so it, that, that was my luck, you know, in, in, in the business. Right. So I, I started as a retail broker three years later, I was working, um, for Bill O'Neill's institutional sales. And I'd say in less than a year, I, and I won't get into the, the story. I became a portfolio manager there. So I, you know, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I've got to tell you, you know, in my twenties and I got there right on time, beginning of 1998, um, to trade the, you know, in my life, the, the biggest bull market in history with, you know, Bill O'Neill at my side every day, which, you know, not to mention the whole team of guys and the whole crew over there. So it was just an incredible experience, right? So started off retail and, you know, just along, along the way, um, you know, wound up at O'Neill, built a track record there, taught the workshops with Bill. From there, I uh, ran a successful hedge fund in New York for about six years. And since then, I've just been, uh, you know, private investor. And I'd say since 2017, um, slowly building up, you know, trader line. If you go look at my uh, Twitter profile, that's what you're going to see me connected to. So I think it's interesting that um, you mentioned that you were, you started on the broker side, then they gave you the book. So when you're, when you're, a broker, you have to do obviously execution, but also there's a degree of 
sales and the idea that maybe the best way of of executing and of selling is to actually know how to analyze stocks is is unique um in terms of the way that that book shaped your communication skills what is it that uh, you ended up implementing in real time when you were talking to clients okay yeah great question so you know it just so happened oldie made markets in about a couple hundred stocks you know a lot of people haven't hold, heard of them you know especially uh if you're younger people are wondering who's oldie but um at at the you know they had analysts market makers the whole nine yards and i'll tell you um studying those you know you're forced to study the reports correct so if you're you're selling investments i mean that's what brokers do even they got you know they've changed the name today i think they're wound up being some serious lawsuits when we still had fractions and that whole sort of thing and now you don't hear anyone tell you they're a stockbroker they're um uh, investment you know there there's a, a tamer term for that and retail brokers or those guys no longer are pitching retail stocks it's typically um managed money so the the business was completely different back then um you know we were on the phone cold calling people trying to open you know at that i was at a private brokerage center at that point we're trying to open um accounts for at least a half a million dollars and those guys could buy or sell a thousand shares commission free so you know rather than getting on the phone and you know talking about commissions and that whole sort of thing you know you might ask someone would you take a look at at a package i sent you but we'd immediately start talking William O'Neill, the methodology we follow. And to be quite honest with you, you know, it's not like working at O'Neill, right? A bunch of young retail guys and their interpretation of O'Neill does not work as well. You know, trust me, when I got to O'Neill myself and thought I knew Canslim well, I learned that uh, I didn't, um, which was great because then I, I, but I will tell you that worked. It, it was phenomenal. The The philosophy makes sense. You know, I, I, I've got to tell you, you know, I did um, business school, I can't tell you. I mean, it was a great discipline. I would say there were some basics that I learned. I don't think I really learned anything that was immediately applicable to, to um, you know, the stock market, you know, at least from my perspective at that time. But yeah, it was, it got you the right, it, it got you the right kind of person, especially those that knew O'Neill and, uh, it, it it was awesome. It worked really well in those great bull markets. And I'll tell you, the problem came like when we see now with more experience, you understand when the top's coming, you understand. And let me tell you something, risk management is all that matters. And maybe we'll direct the conversation there just, just because it's a little bit more relevant to now. But, you know, I was at Oldie, um, 90, you know, end of 94 through 98, right? Well, just about, I, I switched firms. But anyway, retail brokerage for those three years, the market was great again, right? The market really started to do well again, right about that point. And so, you know, there were no doubt I learned the hard way um, that stocks can go down much further than you think. Um, uh, you know, there's definitely some retail clients that I wish I knew what I knew now then that I wound up hurting um, for sure. I would tell you that. Um and that's why the whole business has changed and also why, you know, I will tell you risk management is all that matters and the money will follow. But uh, the philosophy is phenomenal. Mark, Michael, I would tell you this. It's one of the it's it works. It's been proven over time. It's based around putting the odds in your favor, keeping risk to a bare minimum. And if you can remain disciplined and follow that philosophy and obviously you, you've got to melt you know move a little bit with the market like like any methodology nothing strictly 
you know, holds true for 30, 50 years. It, it moves a little bit. But I will tell you this, over time, you're going to do extremely well. My experience in the last, let's say, 25 years is that most of the money is lost during the times from, let's say, November, December last year when the market started to get a little bit wonky and we started, you know, things became much more difficult. And now, right, we're, we're hoping we're seeing a bottom put in place here. Um, and, you know, this, this is now this has become, you know, the tricky part is what I've become a whole lot better now, I guess, with age. I break it into the qualitative and quantitative um, factors. You know, if for those that are familiar with CanSlim on the quantitative side, we're talking about follow through days distribution days, a follow through day. Very simply, for those who aren't familiar, there's never been a new bull market or major uptrend that wasn't preceded by a follow through day. None in history. However, and, and let's define and let's define that, Ross, and, and also for the audience that's not familiar with what CanSlim stands for. Let, let's kind of start with the sure. basics. First. Okay. So what Bill O'Neill did basically in CanSlim, that's an acronym though, that basically represents the seven most common characteristics of the biggest winning stocks in, you know, going back to the very beginning, I tell you by now, they've, pro- I know the guys that are still there, they've gone back prior to the 1900s. And I can tell you nothing has changed in terms of the, you know, price volume patterns. Um, and certainly, so this is the beautiful part about the fundamentals. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I was at a, I worked at a hedge fund. We had four at one time, I guess, five different fundamental guys, me and another guy, um, you know, I was chart guy. My partner was a uh, protege of Jeff Vinnick, what you say. So we mixed the uh, fundamentals and technicals, made our biggest positions, what we, you know, um, agreed upon the most. But what he figured out and I soon figured out is even the smartest guys from Harvard and the best funds on the street, especially the one, you know, for the most part, they can be the greatest analysts and have the fanciest spreadsheets. But at the end of the day, what you're getting is your best guesses. Let, you know, call it a, a Harvard guy's, um, you know, refined estimate at the end of the day. It's just another guess. I've seen a lot of these guys, you know, do really well until the technicals start speaking. And, they, you know, from the little bit of time I spent in institutional sales, uh, you'd be surprised how many brilliant guys, brilliant teams of guys will get stuck on their fundamentals and refuse um, to listen to the whole uh, thing that Bill figured out. And I digress here. Let me get back. Can slim those most common characteristics. So what Bill figured out, rather than trying to, you know, take, you know, 10,000 different factors out there and try and figure, you know, put it all together in a special formula and figure out which is the best stock because that doesn't exist. He figured out prior to these moves, right? What, what did they all look like? What was the common characteristics? And so this is very easy. There's no guesswork involved and it makes a lot of sense. You're looking for companies that had it, you know, C is current, current and is your current quarter and quarterly earnings. So you want to see a stock that has at least um, two to three quarters of, you know, the ideal is accelerating earnings growth, but you want to see a minimum in the most recent quarter of quarter over quarter growth of 25%. You should have sales to match um, that, you know, ideally you want to see uh, triple digits, let's say 25% is the minimum and preferably 
some sort of acceleration. So going back, you know, quarter over quarter, three quarters ago, maybe you grew at 40 percent and then you ramp up to, you know, 93 percent. And then the quarter after that, 124 percent, you're seeing big estimates. Right. So that is a very comp. And mind you, these are reported. This is historical. There's no guesswork involved. This is, you know, just what existed. So if you go go through and apply all, you know, so A is annual earnings, N is stands for new, right? You want to have a comp when a new bull market starts, for the most part, the prior leaders don't work again. And I mean we can get into all kinds of um, examples there. So what but what you're looking for, you know, is that and preferably brand new companies that you haven't heard of, you know, that are on the leading edge of something new, whether changing the way we live work, communicate. But if not, it can be an older company with a new product, new management. But that is a big factor that that plays into it as well. S um, isn't as much of a factor anymore. That referred to the supply of the stock. There was a point where um, larger cap names, the you know, the big caps didn't really move like some of the uh, secondary or smaller names did. So there was, you know, that that is not so much of a factor. We all we all know now that Qualcomm, the Qualcomms and Cornings and Apples, those big liquid names, can absolutely um, light up on fire. So that has become less of a factor. L in canceling leader or laggard. We're always looking for the leading stocks, right? The strongest stocks in the strongest groups. I is very important. We're almost there. That's institutional sponsorship. So I'm constantly looking. And there are caveats to this, right, you know, between ETFs now and, you know, managers that are forced to buy versus ones that are actually um, buying for other reasons, right, actually looking for the growth. But in general, you want to see increasing sponsorship over several quarters. And preferably, if you can take a deeper look, uh, you know, I have a list of uh, funds that I consider high quality based on their longer term performance. And I love to see high quality sponsorship as well that I, I want to know that the best guys are, are accumulating my stock. And finally, M is the market, which is always going to be um, the most important. Bill used to say it, that's 50% of the ball game. He was a huge uh, baseball fan, constant baseball and allergies. And basically he'd tell you, if you're not getting the general direction of the market, right, um, it doesn't matter if you're the greatest stock picker in the world because three out of four stocks are going to work against you. It simply doesn't matter, right? So that you know, so that's can slim in a nutshell. Um, the the so go ahead. I don't want to. I can yeah yeah no, that's good. No, and I shared at the, at the nest for those that are in the in the space here the uh, the breakdown of the letters exactly like Ross um, described here. But so as I go through these, uh, this clearly makes it seem like uh, just from a country bias that uh, CanSlim probably works best when it comes to U.S. markets as opposed to international, especially relative to emerging markets, because the C and the A are based on earnings, and you need to have some kind of quality check to make sure that the, that the earnings are actually accurate, right? So CanSlim alone would get you out of probably anything outside of the U.S. is my assumption. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. 
visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Correct. And, and, you know, there's going to be times, you know, there's been times where Chinese stocks have worked really well. And I think we all know that uh, trusting the accounting in China is not like trusting uh, the accounting over here. And that, you know, though that I will. Pl- so that's all taken into consideration. Also, Michael, right, if you're um, a more conservative, longer term investor, there's really no reason, you know, Bill would tell you, you just need to own the best one or two stocks. There's no reason to play with, you know, but if you're a shorter term guy and the market is in one of those super cooperative states where it's literally, you know, you know, those times where you, you see so many stocks working, you don't have enough money and you feel like a genius, everything you touch goes right. And the market can do that in reverse to you. Also, every stock you think looks just as good as it did during that time won't work no matter how hard you try. And so during those times, I will play um, what I call the bridesmaids in those groups, let's say not the top stocks, or let's say if, you know, there's a whole sector on fire and, you know, there's a few in China, even if they are fake triple digit earnings and they're working really well, as long as I'm managing risk, I will, you know, and the environment is favoring, you know, uh, you know, getting away with that, I will do it. But yes, in general, it is going to, keep you right um largely focused on the in the uh, domestic markets for sure okay now i find the the end part um perhaps dynamic or complicating the idea of a new product service or management providing a catalyst and i say that because you know whenever a company does any kind of pivot uh to a new product or to a new management team there's other risks associated with it and that the pivot may not end up working and i'm pretty sure i forget the exact story you could from wrong on corning but Corning was a totally different company. Uh, they did a hard pivot, and it looks totally different than it did you know, decades ago. It's funny yeah, you riff, say riff that. on that because I think yeah. it's, it's an interesting kind of dynamic about thinking about fundamental yeah, catalysts. Corning Glass. Uh, I, when I heard that come up as a tech stock, you know, in my to me, Corning made exactly that glass, the stuff in you know that my mom was a big baker. I think I saw Corning's, you know, maybe in the science labs. But anyway, that was they wound up being the biggest. Um, producer, maker, inventor of but the fiber optics, right? The fiber optic technology. So they went from, I mean, they completely changed, right? They they went from literally making um, strong glass for whatever you might want to use it for, I don't know, baking or in the labs to um, providing all of that fiber optic uh, cable for the huge uh, grow out that happened at that time, you know, as the internet. And, you know, that was the time of AOL and you know, that everybody had AOL. Now nobody has AOL. But yeah, that's a, a great example of something where, you know, I'd hear the name Corning. And prior to that, I would associate that with, you know, something I've seen in the kitchen, a piece of, you know, nice thick glass. Um, and before you knew it, they were you know, facilitating one of the biggest expansions in uh, life changing technology on the planet. Right. Yeah, and I guess my point is that 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 that's a big risk, right? So it's in other words, a a new product or service isn't necessarily a bullish factor, right? There's, there's it takes more. Oh thought, yes, right? yes, yes. So th- it's not always gonna. It's not going to be just that. There's going to be plenty of times, absolutely. So it's going to be a weight of evidence thing. So just because you have that something super new, you're you're correct. There's a ton of risk with it. It could completely fail. So and that's why you know you want to 
you really want to have as much of the can slim factors in place. And that doesn't, you know, and that's not including, let's say the technicals, right. That, you know, Bill is known as the chart guy. Also the, you know, he, I guess came up with that cup and handle. And for, for those that are, um, you know, that look as the technicals as the magic hocus pocus, you know, what I try to remind people is it's not used to predict technicals. Don't say if I buy across this line, it's, it's used to, once you use those canceling factors to know that you're looking at the highest quality, strongest stock in the strongest sector, you're then using those technicals to manage your risk. It's not, um, it's not, you know, you'll hear a lot of people say canceling doesn't work. You can't buy breakouts. And yeah, I will tell you that things have changed dramatically um, over the years. So I've, I grew up with Stan Weinstein's daughter. I was also his client when I was running my fund from 2004 to 2010. So when I moved from O'Neill, where I was managing, you know, a lot less, lost less firm money, my fund got up to about 660 million. We ran that on a full boat of margin. And so I needed to learn, I, I you know, even when it was still working better, um, buying breakouts is not okay when you need to buy a half a million shares of a stock, right? Unless it's, you know, something super liquid and you can buy a bunch of it at the market and it doesn't really matter. Um, so, you know, in that respect, I, uh, yeah, so I came up with, and that came up with because, you know, working with Stan, I noticed he did a lot of buying off the bottom. He ignores a lot of the, uh, fundamental stuff. And, you know, focuses on, you know, what he calls stage analysis. So I kind of mix that in. Right. So what I learned from Stan with the risk management from Bill and figure it out, really, um, you know, during my time running that fund, um, a really good mixture of the two of how to sneak my way. So if you were to read Bill's book, How to Make Money in Stocks, um, you know, where he describes the can slim system, you really shouldn't be buying stocks that are any more than 15% below a prior high, just because of all of the resistance, your, your probabilities of success down there, um, according to the methodology, and that's not wrong, are not as good. However, you know, I have to look at what Stan does, which works extremely well, and a lot of his stuff is off the bottom. So I created, and you know, this is something we talk about at Trader Lion. It's like the, what I call the launching pad entry. It's an early off the bottom entry. So if you are familiar with Bill's methodology, it's early. For stands, it might even be a little bit late. And I have some. So once the, you know, I have all of those can slim factors in place, I have, um, you know, worked a way, a way that works for me, right? What works for me may not work for you. I've taken pieces from everybody along the way. So what I have is just been borrowed or plagiarized and mixed together from everyone I've learned from, from, you know, Bill O'Neill to, you'd be, you know, the guys that I work with now, Ray is brilliant, but we'll talk, <laughs> we'll get to that another time. And, uh, yeah, I, that mixture finally, I finally figured out how to put on a position well before the breakout. And instead of, let's say, you know, a lot of way this works. So I'm a largely a position trader, right? You don't have to be, um, but that's what I learned from Bill O'Neill. I'm trying to scale into um, a few concentrated positions at the end of the day. And, you know, I try to keep my portfolio never more than 10 to 12 stocks. And if I can, I like to have 80 plus percent of it 
in the top two or three. Um, and that's just, you know, I've walked, you know, Bill O'Neill can pick the top two leaders and folk hone right in on them. A guy like me maybe needs to uh, buy six, eight, 10 stocks and let the market tell me which are the best. And that's so anyway, I don't want to go on and on and on. I, and I think I've kind of lost um, <laughs> where you got. Yeah, no, 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 no. Market, but but, but uh, what I like about these spaces is that it almost becomes like a stream of consciousness, which helps me also kind of figure out different branches to go off of. But so, so uh, let's let's go back to the CANSLIM acronym, and let's focus on the on the S, the supply, because I'm actually surprised that you allude to the idea that it's not as important as maybe it used to be. Right. The, the supply-demand aspects, um, I think, largely explain um, two things. One would be, over the last decade, U.S. outperformed dominance versus international, right? Because one of the big differentiators uh, when it comes to U.S. markets versus international markets is that U.S. companies tend to buy back stocks Whereas you don't have the same phenomenon in Europe and certainly not in emerging markets, right? So that mm-hmm. shrinks the supply side. But then the demand right. side is also interesting because, you know, as more uh, what I've called structural insanity, as you have these uh, automatic fund flows that go into passive large cap vehicles from uh, paychecks, that creates this kind of constant bid in large cap. So using the cancellation right. method, I would argue that. In many ways, that kind of kept you in the only place to be just from the the S in the CanSlim because it probably kept you in large cap buyback type of companies for the last decade. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. It's really funny that you mentioned that. I was talking to a guy yesterday that I've been working with since the beginning of time, and I'm no fundamental guy, but he was just discuss- we were discussing exactly that, right? So he's taught he thinks three point five, and this is not for me, but it made sense, and I'll discuss three point five percent. He thinks is that precipice level. You know, he talks about 2011. You know, where we had the the really low rates, and exactly what you're saying. He he thinks it's those buybacks due to the super low rates, right? Why are you not going to borrow at such cheap rates and then buy your stocks back, right? His point being that he thinks three and a half percent is where it stops to make sense. And that whole buyback cycle, like you're saying, that pushed you into those larger cap was actually what fueled that, you know, the super cycle that we've seen from 2011 until now. So, you know, we were discussing yesterday, I I told him I didn't know three and a half. So he's just been saying it's an observation that he's made that he feels like three and a half percent is that number where the buyback cycle no longer makes sense. And so now we're in this quandary, right, where inflation is super real. I can go pick up dinner now, you know, over a th- over three weeks, I'm, I, I've never seen it in my life. I'm 50. I've, you know, it's not the end of the world for some to, to watch the price of whatever you're ordering go up a few bucks. But in such a short period of time, it's, it's a little bit insane, right? So the Fed is stuck. They, you know, that, and, it, and it's funny, my buddy David, what he called the, you know, in 2019, where you saw, you know, a little taper tantrum. But other than that, we're... If you think about it in three and a half percent, is that number? We're a little bit stuck now, right? The Fed can't really uh, taper with inflation the way that it is. And unfortunately, 
the, you know, the, the current administration can't spend money fast enough, right? So the Fed and and the executive branch are, dis, you know, are not connected, and they are certainly operating on a huge disconnect. And you know, like you're saying, that that whole buyback cycle is running into danger as inflation explodes. And uh, right, and, and I think that and right? that's a really critical. And, and I, I and that's so that's that's where I was hoping you'd go because I think that's something that people really don't appreciate about how much of a structural change is happening beneath the market, right? Because yes. sure, you still have the structural insanity in terms of the constant flow of buys from paychecks, but without the buyback support, which is a function of zero interest rate policy and QE right. and everything, which now is being, you know, we're, we're seeing the pain of the after effects on, that, that does change the dynamics of, you would think, from a longer-term perspective, ongoing dominance by U.S. large caps relative to everything else. Yeah. And so exactly. We'll see how, you know, how is it going to work this time? What's the Fed going to do? What's going to happen? You never know. So, you know, Bill was very good at, at tying in much better than I, I am. I'm still learning this, how to, you know, that larger macro picture. So what I, what I have found is this, and, I, and I'll tell you at the end of the day, I have developed an, a, a great routine. And this is my opinion. This is how I approach it to kind of filter out all the noise. Because I don't, you know, when I talk I think about all that stuff. I'm certainly no economist. I do not have my CFA, and uh, I don't know that it would help because I, I believe the smartest and best economists out there aren't necessarily the greatest traders either. This goes back to you know when I was younger, and I would I'd always be asking questions at O'Neill, and a constant answer that I got from whether it be Bill or the other portfolio managers that I was asking questions to were you know it felt like a brush off answer at the time, but was probably the most valuable thing I've ever could have been told is Ross, just watch the leaders, watch the leaders, they'll tell you all you need to know. So before we get into that, what is a leader? A lot of people confused, you know, mistakenly believe. That you know, Apple, Google, the Netflix, the, the the household names are your leaders, and that you know those stocks were all once leaders, but those are not your leaders anymore. It's not that they're unimportant, but those are not the stocks that are leading the market to new highs. This you know, if you go to back to Bill's methodology, you're constantly looking for the strongest stocks in the strongest groups. Typically, you know, when a, when the market's in an uptrend, you're being led by what I would consider traditional growth as opposed to, um, let's say, cyclical commodity, um, utility, and you know, food stocks, that stuff that we would consider um, more defensive in nature. So luckily, I'm in front of this. Since 1998, I've been using O'Neill software and uh, going through screening the market, building lists in the same exact way since. So, I, you know, I would say this, and this routine is what's really given me a handle on the health of the market is getting, learning what leadership looks like, which groups should be leading, how broad it has to be, because at the end of the day, the leaders lead the market, right? It's an, you should be watching the leaders to understand what the market's going to do, not the other way around. So this is where I get very into that um quantitative versus qualitative we've seen several follow-through days fail since november our most sorry, when you when you when you right. find what's the definition of follow-through when you say follow oh through? so the so when the market follows through once the market tops and rolls over and it's in a downtrend and selling off as it has been <clears throat> since november all you've got to do is draw a line across you know from the very tops in november straight down maybe the russell is still at about that line but all of the other indexes are in uh 
longer-term downtrends below all of their moving averages. However, we did ha- so the follow-through day occurred back if I want to say the last week of June, the 26th, maybe right around there. And what happens is when the market's selling off, selling off, eventually we'll get a rally day. And we start to count from that first day up. And once we start to rally, we're looking ideally between days four and seven after that rally day occurs. We want to see the market rise. Either the NASDAQ or the S&P 500, only those two indexes, must rise at least 1.7% on heavier volume than the prior day. Volume does not have to be above average. It does not have to be overwhelming, although that would be that's that much better, right? However, there's been plenty of follow-through days that volume picks up but was still below average, was still valid. So once you have so that's the quantitative, right? That's very easy to learn and understand. <clears throat> Tons of people follow it. Even if you don't miss it, you're, it's very easy to figure out these days when the market is followed through between Twitter and IBD, what, what have you. The harder part is understanding that once the market's followed through, what does leadership need to look like? for? So na- that process, that routine that I've developed where I'm constantly going through, watching the rotation, building lists, and I have a constant finger on the pulse of where the money is <clears throat> rotating or flowing. Is it, you know, where is it now? Is it in traditional growth? How broad is that? So, for example, right now, um, I'm going to say the most strength has been in biotech, solar. Those are your two, you know, that has been your two strongest areas. Biotech has got over 800 stocks. So, there's that's wonderful that continues to improve. The problem is we need to see at least two or three groups like that for a sustainable. So once the market follows through, what's going to sustain the uptrend, right? You need at least according to Bill, according to his studies, at least two or three, you know, major industry groups with a theme, with a, you know, a fundamental reason and everything going for them to sustain a rally, you know, and obviously the more, the better. So when the market and, and I'll, I don't want to get uh, too far. So when the market followed through back um, at the end of June, you know, and I write a report, I, I'm constantly watching the leadership. I could hardly come up with a stock worth watching, no less, to buy. Within a few weeks of the follow through, um, the health and breadth of leaders improved dramatically. Um, I went from, you know, not able to find one or two stocks to m- for my report to easily finding 10 or more. So that is exactly what that's what you need right you're constantly looking for that the health and breadth of the leadership to improve right and that takes you know with time and experience that gets easier and easier and what i would say now is so that the market followed through it was choppy in the beginning once we start to see breadth improve we went into a nice tight channel right we saw all four indexes run up to their um what i would call their you know each of their own specific areas of resistance right around their uh, downtrend lines and their longer term moving averages. That was back in August, roughly three weeks ago. They ran into trouble. We sold off. Um, And now we're trying to put it, you know, the last few days we've been trying to at least, you know, put in a low at uh, what I would call. um, And again, so I'm going to, this is a little off. I'm looking at possible right shoulders forming on the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. Just so again, that's not predictive, but as I'm looking for possible signs of bottoming, I'm noticing that 
Um, we have the potential of putting in a right shoulder here. And the key is the amount of leaders that I can find now that are exhibiting strength, um, setting up that are worth watching, setting alert lines on and potentially mine is significantly better than it was <clears throat> when the market followed through. So based, you know, based on that, the fact that I think leadership is still in a, a, a fine enough space with the potential to continue to improve from here and, you know, the pattern uh, it's so far so good in terms of a right shoulder. Um, I, I keep that in mind, right? So that's, those are all positives. But at the end of the day, the environment is ridiculously um, difficult to make progress in, at least from my perspective. If you're a trend trader or a position trader, you can, and, and the idea is, and I'll tell you when it gets super choppy like this, I will put on, I have probably since November, I, I went to cash largely in November of last year. There was no magic in doing that. As soon as all of the, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there was nothing to buy. And it will tell you every time once you get, and this is why I say once you get a feel for what leadership should look like when the market is rocking and rolling and what it starts to look like when it's topping out, that will save you unbelievable amounts. Even if you, even if you weren't out until December or January, right, you still saved yourself a bundle from that point. And so once that happens, I'm going to tell you, there's been five, maybe six times I've dipped my toe in the market. I'll buy two or three stocks, very small, two to three percent. And if I, so what will happen is, and this has happened every time, I'll make progress for a day, maybe two, and then I get kicked out of my positions. And it's not that they all necessarily hit sell stops. You know, I keep relatively tight stops. But, you know, after a while, I know that when I'm right and I start to buy stocks, I typically get traction. So if I can't get that traction and I, you know, and I immediately lose the little bit that I had in a day or two, I know it's not right. And I just back out. Right. So sometimes I lose a little, sometimes I make a little, and I'll tell you this year, I'm down about 3%. And, uh, that's been mostly cash since November. I've taken about a half a dozen toe dippers into, you know, in since and, uh, Net, net, I'm down a few percent for the year. For yeah, the year. And, and, and I think, I think real quick that, and by everybody here, make sure you follow Ross on Twitter. I think you know guys like him that have the experience have have you know methodology and understand these dynamics are worth paying attention to unequivocally. But Ross, it's it's, but the um, but but this point about this being a very choppy and difficult environment is important in the context of of volatility, right? So I always go back to this point that right. volatility is not fear; volatility is doubt. And the last thing you want to do when you're in a market that is doubting itself is have conviction by taking on big positions, right? Meaning, right. don't be a maxi on anything, right? Because markets have a funny way of humbling maxis to make them minis, for lack of a better way of saying it. Oh, yeah. and, and, and right, so so and and I want I want to pivot the conversation a little bit to what you're noticing in particular, speaking of market leaders, when it comes to the energy sector, right? Which has been very strong, obviously, and has been yep. struggling since early June. And you know, I had Walter Diemer on once uh, for one of these spaces, and he made this point that it's not a true bear market until you have all sectors red. You don't have all sectors red yet. Gotcha. Fair enough. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you know, uh, energy, oil, alternative, that 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 you know all of those stocks actually had had a good leading period i guess um for a while after growth popped out at the end of last year right it was those oil stocks that had um 
a heck of a move. Some of the materials, agriculture's a lot of, you know, the cyclical names. And uh, it's funny, you know, it, it was uh, David Ryan that pointed to, you know, after working with Bill, I just was turned off of all of those stocks. If you weren't traditional growth, I wasn't interested. But uh, I had the uh, genie teach me. He had, I forgot what page he had me look back to and how to make money in stocks. But apparently one out of the, every four cyclical stocks goes on to be a big winner. Um, so I guess for me, I, I, I've, I've got the aggravation factor in there now. So if, if again, if I look at it here, I'll make it very simple. I look at it like counting cards now. The deck is hot or it is not hot, right? So even if we've had a follow through day and I can find stocks that look great that um, I would typically buy in, a, in an easier, smoother environment, um, I, it doesn't until it is clear, you know, so I have my um, parameters, I guess you could say, for when it's clearly hot. And sometimes it is it getting, you know, we're at that point now where I've seen it. It looks like it could heat up and that's when I'll dip my toes in and see what happens. And if they immediately get um, chopped off, I, you know, so that is for me, that has been the. And I, I think I might need you to back me up again, Michael. I'm, I'm, I'm off what we were discussing about. But that, I guess I can't stress enough how risk management is all that matters and the money will follow, right? If you can, you know, keep that when you're counting cards. So here's the difference. There's only a counting cards is purely quantitative. Anybody who learns the methodology and is counting cards correctly will always be at the same count, the same number. And, ha you know, there is no subjective qualitative nature to the card right it it is or it isn't and with the stock market it's it's the opposite right you can use that follow-through day but there is the qualitative nature and i would tell you that just developing a routine and i mean obviously no, no one's going to be able to do it like i do if you were to talk to i set hundreds of trend line alerts all day and i i mean it's a it's like i breathe setting alerts and creating these lists and and keeping track of rotation luckily that's that's my job and i love doing it so i have a pretty good feel for that now especially after 25 years but that will be your best guide every time and goes back to that you know what i thought was always the blow off answer was actually the wisest you can i'm not going to say you can ignore what's going on macro but if you pay it if you can ignore most of the news and and a lot of that stuff that will tend to taint your brain and mind you, i do not watch any news no financial don't even know what channel cnbc is on my cable watching those leaders the breadth the health and just get that has been my savior every time that's what you know told me hey it's not you know that, that the deck is not hot anymore even though we may still be in an uptrend in november and right now right even though we have technically followed through in back in June, um, last week of June. We still have not, that follow through day is still intact, right? So if you read Investors Business Daily, they'll tell you um, uptrend intact, but under pressure. And, and it's under a lot of pressure because most of the indexes are not even in uptrends and, and above their um, major moving averages. On the flip side, though, I'm seeing it's that under surface strength. The I am seeing the action of the leadership um, again, comparing to when the, the the market actually followed through the the health the health and breadth right now is significantly better. And as I look, you know, through those groups outside of what's looking good, I see the potential for more stocks to shape up. And as long as I continue to see that, that is what gives me my confidence that the market is getting better, even when um, 
you know, it's trading below its long-term trend line and all of its major moving averages. Um, it's not a time to go, hey, you know, Ross thinks we might be putting in a bottom here and just, you know, buy a bunch of stocks and pray that is how to lose all your money in a hurry. Never do that, no matter who says what they think about the market, right? You, you know, I can't stress enough, you need to have a, a sell discipline, a, a risk management philosophy in place, preferably one that's been, uh, you know, that you've spent some time with that that actually works. And, you know, if you've got it, this, you know, I would tell you again, the money is lost. Everybody wants to know when's the market going to bottom, when's it going to bottom. Um, the leadership will always tell you, but I'll tell you, let me give you a perfect example. In 2000, what was it, 2000, when the market topped, it took till November of 2002 for the bottom to be put in. So even though the bottom was put in, let's say the bottom we just put in was what actually was June. Let's say we never make another low. We never undercut that. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to make money just because the market bottomed. It took, I remember clearly, um, market bottom November 2002. You couldn't make a dime using the canceling methodology until, if you were lucky, May or June of 03. And it just, and that could, and that's just, it could be what is that happening now? I just don't know. Will the market eventually shape up? Will that be the low in another few months? You know, November, December, everything will be uh, fine again. I have no idea, right? People will say, but what about, you know, the fundamentals? I have no idea how that works. Will the yield curve flip upside down or, you know, what happens? But watching those leaders, I will tell you, is staying, keeping my brain out of the news. And just watching the leadership and trying to focus on the health of the market, you know, that way, I guess, Moneyball style without all of the uh, um, fancy economic, you know, all of these indicators. I just try and keep it super simple. Price volume action of the strongest stocks and the strongest groups. Are they expanding? Are they early in a potential move? And can I, you know, is the potential there for that breadth to, to continue without it? Um, a, a new uptrend will not be sustainable, right? So that's that is really it. Or we need the health and breadth of the leadership to be not only in the right groups, but to be broad enough to sustain a new uptrend whenever you know whenever that is. And I'll tell you, everyone will know when that is. All the money is lost trying to be the first one in. I always tell everyone there's no prize for being first. There, the only the only prize is making money. It doesn't matter. Um, if the guy next to you technically was first, it doesn't matter if the guy next to you made money for three weeks while you were taking care of your family, because I can promise you I've driven myself crazy over all of those times. You can be late to the follow. I, I would I would almost beg you to be late to the follow through day than early. Right. And and getting chopped up. I, I learned. So in 2000, during that time when the market that bear market from 2000 to what I would call 2003, not just because the bottom in 02 happened. You couldn't really make money again until the middle of 03. Listen, everybody struggled then. It was Bill, you know, Bill is the best of the best. He's never had a debilitating drawdown. But let me tell you something. He got, we all got sucked into the market. So it, it doesn't matter. You know, he wrote the book. It, it doesn't exclude him from, from struggling. The, the big difference is, is he knows, um, when he's struggling, he knows what that can ultimately turn into. And at the end of the day, all that matters is that you don't ever have that debilitating drawdown, right? So if you're doing the big triple digits like he was and, and sometimes quadruple digits over two and three years, it's fine. 
you know, if you're in cash or let's say there's, I'll give you another example after 2008 in 2009, again, I was very lucky. I was up in 2008, 2009 was one of my worst years because as the market rebounded, that is what I would refer to as the junk off the bottom rally. So everybody who lost 70% the year before all their garbage came rallying back, but that's not what I buy, right? So 2009 was terrible for me, even though it was the rally back from 2008, because if you were a strict can slim guy, there was nothing, there was really nothing for you. And, and by the way, on that, on that point, this, so this is, this is actually quite important, which mm-hmm. is why I keep hammering this, this idea that you can't, you can't change your strategy or approach based on the small mm-hmm. sample of the here and now, right? Because every strategy, every methodology will always have periods where it's seemingly not working because the cycle that you're operating in isn't allowing it to, that does not invalidate the approach. It just Correct. means that you're going through some kind of hell. Yeah. And that, listen, that takes a lot. I was young and I, I remember I was upset, depressed. And I, I remember the pit in my stomach when the market wouldn't stop going down. And, you know, obviously now, now 20 plus years later, I understand, you know, that I built that into my risk management, right? I understand how serious that can be. Um, you know, and I, I would tell you this, you know, a lot of people don't, don't take into consideration the, their mental capital, right? We're always worried about protecting our financial capital, but that's highly tied into that mental capital as well, which I'm always, um, I'm always trying to protect. The last thing I want to do is get into a rut, for example, trying to guess a bottom or trying to be first so that when the market finally does follow through, I got my head in the wrong place. Or let's say you don't realize how important having your head in the right place is and you're forcing yourself to trade when you're having issues outside of the market, right? Which is just life that that happens to everybody. Um, you know, without getting into the details, that's where I've made my biggest mistakes, not in the market, but life. And that can be very expensive too. <laughs> and I'll just leave it there. No, no. And, and that's, yeah. that, I think it's a really important point. That's also a big advantage that <clears throat> discretionary traders have versus systematic or, you know, Correct. institutional versus non-institutional, right? Because if, if you're, if you're not mandated to do something, you can simply walk away and try to enjoy life and keep your, your own mental capital to your point, right? Because I think a lot of people, and even you know, personally myself, you get into a period where if your approach isn't working, you equate your portfolio or your approach, your strategy to your own self worth. Absolutely, right? and it ne- and it's very rarely hard to is differentiate the two sometimes. It, absolutely, I got stuck. To, I probably had ten miserable years in my life trying having difficulty separating the two. I'm not joking. I mean, it's not, it's not easy and it's painful. Yeah. yeah no, no, I mean, no, no, my point is that it's, it's something which is not really, I mean, it's easy for people on, on FinTwit and in financial media to talk about stocks and how well they're doing. You never really hear about not only the times that they're not doing well, but what they them, themselves then feel when they're not doing oh, well. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's also really, it becomes actually quite toxic, right? Because what happens then is you get shell-shocked by a drawdown because you cannot possibly avoid every single drawdown. And right. that makes you then shy to take on the necessary risk that might be required to actually have a comeback, right? Because you're, it's, it's almost like a snake bite effect, right? Like once bitten, twice shy. I, I already got yep. bit. I don't want to take on more risk. But sometimes that's the best thing to do, right? Because mathematically, you know, if if you are lagging substantially, sometimes the best thing to do is to go aggressive in the biggest laggards for that mean reversion moment. 
And it's funny that you say that often that is the case when my stuff is not working. It, it often is that mean reversion stuff, you know, laggards that are for whatever that's worth. Right. Right. Which again, would be inconsistent with canceling. So, and that's where right. the time frame matters. Like think that which is more fundamentally based is more about longer term endpoints rather than shorter term path. And the shorter term path can be wildly desynced from fundamentals. Absolutely. And I mean, especially, on you know, there's, are you familiar with the saying we buy on fundamentals and technicals, but we sell only on technicals? Exactly right. And that's, you know, as we know, like, look, I just take Cisco, perfect example, that thing would hit 82 bucks in 2000, went as low as $8. Um, I don't know where it is now, but it has yet to recover its highs from 2000, right? So that was the biggest, baddest company, one of the greatest IPOs in history, I think, Early 90s, I think it was right around 62 or 65,000%. I forget exactly. I remember from doing some studies at O'Neill. But at the end of the day, when that was done, it was done. Sure, it's had little periods of rallies, but that's, you know, that goes back to the whole the old leaders don't lead anymore for the most part. Right. But, but then, then I think that's a good direction to go for the final few minutes here. Again, everybody, make sure you follow yeah. uh, Ross here. But but this point about leaders is important. But and, uh, people often talk about leaders, but it, it's hard to identify when leadership ends except with hindsight, right? And, and time frame to that extent. So I'm curious from your perspective and using the canceling method, mm-hmm. how do you identify when leadership is changing in terms of sectors uh, and stuff? It can't be just sort of a function of, oh, it's down more than everything else today. Something no, no. And, right. So, right. So this is what I'm telling you, Mike. Like I had my, my daily life is, is I built basically around that whole, just watching rotation but I, I don't think you need to build your life around it. I think it can be done at the end of the day in a half an hour. And for people who have, you know, it can be done weekly. But how do I know? So when I, again, when I see the market follow through, I want to see, you know, at least three, if not nine, ultimately, you know, solid groups shape up. I want, so the, the top stocks in those groups not only have to have those canceling qualities, they're, they need to be early, early in their um, overall potential run. Right. So Bill looks at stocks in stages, stage one, two, three and four stage one. So I want to see groups of stocks in stage one and two early stage bases with the potential to have those huge moves. And as we know, stocks like, you know, the Cisco's of the world, there's tons more that go well beyond, you know, three stage three and stage four. But believe, you know, keeping that in mind, right, the average leader, I'm constantly watching all of these stocks, I have alerts on everything. So all of a sudden, now I'm seeing, let's say, these six of those eight groups are now, let's say most of those stocks have run up quite a bit. Um, They're now in stages three and four. And all of a sudden, now I'm seeing some of those stocks start to break their you know, longer term trend lines, major moving averages, it'll start off with one or two. That's your big warning sign. But that usually pops up along with other warning signs. And believe it or not, once you get, I'm going to tell you, watching the leaders is key. They will move up in groups, they will move down in groups. And if you are watching those, you know, basic stages, you can't, I'm going to tell you, you can't really miss it. I'm Michael, I went, I'm smart enough. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but following at all, but following Bill's, um, you know, those, what I learned from him, everything, the whole thing, qualitative and quantitatively, they, I have been out of every major drawdown since I started. And 
just watching those leaders, nobody has to tell you. And it's not, it's not something difficult to figure out. It's just a routine that you need to build for yourself to try and get a, a handle on where is the money flowing, right? Where is it now? How much potential is there um, with where it is now? If it continues in that area, you know, do so, you know, based on what I'm looking at, I still believe however it happens, right? Because if you talk about, you know, inflation and interest rates, you wonder how in the world it would ever happen. But health and breadth of, of the market from the time it followed through till now continues to, um, you know, that subsurface strength, the leaders continue to act amazingly better than, the, you know, even in the last, um, what was it, Tuesday, market gap down a race the last four days. An amazing amount of numbers on my long watch list held up significantly better than the market. I'd say 10 or 15% actually finished higher on the day. And as long as I continue to see that, I'm encouraged, even if the uh, indexes aren't doing much or, you know, maybe even looking scary, right? So I tried to pay less attention to the indexes, the news, and all of, you know, that scary stuff out there and focus on, um, you know, where is the leadership and does it have the potential to sustain a new uptrend that gets underway? So, yeah, no, I think that, that's a valid point. Uh, so again, everybody here, please make sure you follow Ross. I'm going to have to hop a little bit early to get ready for my flight, but thank you everybody for joining uh, Ross. Real pleasure. I hope that this was uh, interesting for oh, the audience well, and for you as well. Just wanted to say thanks for having me. You've had awesome guests. I only hope I was able to live up to the, uh, expectations of your your typical guest i was nervous coming on so i no, really no, you know, no, 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 really do appreciate it and thank everybody for joining really uh always nice to see uh, a nice large audience especially from those that are uh are fans of the approach and the way that uh, these conversations go so thank you, everybody do appreciate it thanks all right thanks Cheers. mike have a good one the content in this program is for informational purposes only you should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.